and good morning, uh, or at whatever time you're listening to this podcast. Uh, this is Timothy Crumley. I'm here with Emma Cranston. Uh, Carlos Morsed, our other co-host and producer, is not with us today. Um, they'll be joining us next time. So it's just the two of us, Emma. Um, and yeah, so we'll get started. Um, this is a sort of check-in as we're navigating the holidays, but also we had been planning originally to talk about gender and gender identity. Um, and then again, navigating that with our clients, uh, how that is for us as therapists. Uh, both Emma and I have experience working with clients who are navigating gender identity stuff. So uh, we'll talk a bit about that. Um, but first, uh, here's a little bit more about our group. So Common Sense Mental Health is a it's it's basically the overhead for a group of private providers, uh, licensed mental health counselors, social workers, uh, and we operate within our own practices and we provide uh, teletherapy throughout New York state. We also provide in-person therapy as well within the capital region. And all of our providers are competent in teletherapy. Uh, we specialize in video phone as well as text-based services. And some of our providers have their own practice that work with common sense. And in those practices, they may be overseeing uh, interns or um, sort of pre-licensed providers who are under limited permits uh, or something along those lines. Uh, but that is common sense mental health in a nutshell. Um, any questions, you're always welcome to reach out and ask, and we will be happy to answer. All right. So we'll get started. Uh, so first off, Emma, how are you doing with the holidays? And now that we are in the week of New Year's? Yeah. Um, well, I'm perpetually confused because we are in that no man's land of the week between Christmas and New Year's because uh, I'm somebody who celebrates Christmas. Um, so I'm a little confused and on Monday morning I had this moment of like so the, the week leading up to Christmas I only worked half of my, my days and just they were longer days I squished all my people in um, or the vast majority of my people and I was like why didn't I do that for this week and just work Wednesday and Thursday instead and I could have had like a good chunk of time off but I you know apparently work thought is not my strong suit so I didn't, um, but I've been, <laughs> it's so silly, I took off two days, I'm like, it's so nice to get back to like, seeing my clients and my routine, mm. um, and I've just been doing really well. I was definitely a bit bummed with the holidays, I didn't, you know, we didn't see family or anything like that, um, but we did do a little bit of like gift delivery and got to drive to each, you know, my husband's mom, my husband's dad, and my parents' houses, mm. um, and just kind of do like gift drop-offs and wave from more than six feet apart and wearing masks and, you know, very cautiously. Mm. Um, but it was nice to at least get to see them in person, and we tried to like take our mask off as we were in, like going into the car, so, mm. you know, like 20, 30 feet away, so really no risk, but just so like we could see each other's faces for a moment. Um, oh. Not through a screen. Nice. Um, yeah. So it was it was nice. It was bittersweet. But there's also the part of me that was like really enjoying our holiday. My husband and I have never actually spent Christmas together in all of our, like, we've been together 11 years now. Um, because we both are really, we really enjoy our, our family Christmases. And neither of us are really wanting to, like, give up on that. Yeah, um, sure. But it was kind of nice to just have a lower key pajama day. Our cat was happier because she doesn't like traveling. Um, mm. So she was, like, living her best life. Got to have a lot of fun with Christmas. Um, it was just really nice. I got a lot of books I'm excited to read. 
like you know, I a lot of my wish list this year was like, give me puzzles, give me books, give me things that I can do as I continue my self isolation. Mm, yeah, seriously, <laughs> so yeah. It was great. I appreciate everything, and you know, we had a great a great time, even if it mm. wasn't the quote unquote normal year. Yeah. Sure. How was your Christmas or how your holiday time? Good, good. Um, apologize for that beeping. Um, no, it's uh, it it's it's gone as well. I mean, and I was going to say this from what you were describing. It sounds like your holiday is basically went as well as it could have in the setting of twenty twenty and the pandemic. Um, I kind of feel the same. I mean, it was hard because we we didn't see family either, um, neither Carlos's family or mine. Um, and uh, yeah, it was it was it was tough not doing it in the more traditional way that we have um yeah. which i didn't really i didn't really realize we had a traditional way of doing it until it's we don't have it away, right? until it's gone yeah this sounds very sad um but uh it was it was mixed because yeah, the hardest part was not seeing family um but the other but the other flip side to that is that i mean there is i think there was a little bit of relief of just not coordinating stuff right it's like not seeing family is the major downside and sort of the trauma what that that comes with it um but also just knowing, okay, I'm stuck at home and there's nothing else I can do. Like there is a little bit of, and it has nothing to do with wanting to see family or not. It's just a matter of just, you know, not having to coordinate stuff like that's, yeah. that's it. Or just, just the pressure of the holidays to be, you know, perfect or, you know, really good in some way. Um, you know, but yeah, no, it's, it, that was hard, but given that context, um, it was quiet. We've, yeah, we, um, just spent it here and I kind of similar to you, Emma, I, I had a bunch of clients earlier in the week and then I took, so last year I actually took both Christmas and new year's week off both those weeks nice. off, um, which was nice. Um, financially it, it got a little scary in January because <laughs> you know, you took two weeks off. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, but no, it, 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 it went fine. Um, I did see some clients that year. I did see some clients on one day, um, a couple of, of clients that just, just need to be seen. Like they, they, really, it's not good to go two or three weeks without, you know, us being seen in the work that they're doing. So, um, I did make a couple of like, uh, exceptions, but aside from that, I was off this year. I did half my caseload, um, on the one week and then half for most of my clients, half on the other week. Um, and then did, you know, Monday through Wednesday. So like today I have a couple clients. Um, and for those listening, we're recording this on Wednesday, the day before New Year's Eve. Um, but I'll have a couple clients today and then I'm basically done. Um, I have one tomorrow. Um, again, there was some scheduling stuff I had to move around. So I had to put one for tomorrow, but, um, for the most part, I'm off. Um, for those listening to when I say that I'm off, that, that may include two or three, um, uh, telesessions earlier in the day. Um, oh boy. something I'm, I'm working on, but, um, <laughs> so that all said, um, yeah, no. So it kind of similar. It's gone well. Um, yeah. In terms of like things I've been wanting to get, um, uh, the biggest thing was, um, so Emma, you, you, you will, uh, 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 appreciate this. Um, I can't find my words. I'm trying to find what it's called. It's on the tip of my tongue. Um, we got Is a new, related? no, we got a new, uh, uh, record player, a new uh, vinyl <gasps> player. Uh, and yeah, so, so for, again, for those listening, Emma, um, very kindly gave us, uh, hers and her, her partner's, uh, old one. And we use that for at least a couple of years. Actually, I went on three years because we had just moved where we a live now. Time. Yeah. So probably since like 2017, um, and it finally bit the dust. Um, it was playing records too quickly. And I think they were saying it could be something with the belt. And I tried to like 
almost like take it apart and look at it. But I was like, this is not going to, I'm going to make this worse. Um, so we passed it on and then we ordered a new one and it came in um, courtesy of my mom and I'm very thankful. Um, so that, that was sort of like the big, the big gift. I got some other um, cool gifts and, and themes from my dad's side. And, um, but yeah, so um, yeah. And that was, and that was it, you know, it was packages coming in and us opening them. And then that was about it. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Different year for sure. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so this said, um, our original topic today was talking about gender. Um, so I'm saying I'm a lot this morning too. I think I'm, I'm still getting going. Like I'm definitely still getting going. So yeah, no for me. Well, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that I, as I'm looking at the clock, I'm it's 10 19. So I'm judging myself a little bit, but I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah it's, it's just something today. I'm like, maybe we should nap. Mm. That's therapeutic for everybody. Right. Yeah. Yes. There is nothing wrong with napping. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Um, yeah. All right. So, yeah. So talking about gender. So I guess I have some thoughts right off the bat. Um, I work with a number of clients who are dealing with gender stuff, uh, gender dysphoria. Um, I, I work with colleagues who seem to range in their experiences. Some have a lot of experience and are very comfortable with it. Others are like, oh, I don't know what to do. And I guess a silver lining, at least within my circle of colleagues, although I'm sure this is not the case in all circles, um, but in my circle, it seems to be that for providers who are not as competent working with this topic and with this aspect of one's identity, or and even just talking about sexuality in, gen- in sort of general, right? Like talking about any aspect of that, um, the reaction isn't, um, how should I put it? It, it? it doesn't seem to be a hateful reaction. The reaction is, I don't know what I'm doing and I do not want to harm this person, which yeah. if, you, if, and if you don't know what you're doing, um, I think that's a good reaction to have. Like that's a very, I think, healthy thing to acknowledge. And then, you know, it's not something that you want to try to be competent in, which actually I hate using that word. I'm going to try not using that word anymore. Um, it's, it's not, it's something that you, if you don't have experience and you don't want to pretend that you have experience in, right. It's, it's, okay, it's okay to learn like with anything else. Um, so that's the big thing I'm seeing is that either people are really comfortable with it or other people, um, are, are not, but it's, it's not because they don't want to help the person or they don't support them. It's just that they don't, they don't want to mess things up. And, um, I know we've talked about white perfectionism, white perfectionism in here before. Um, we talked about racism and I think there's probably, um, a sort of element of that here, right? Where I think there are providers, myself included, who operate under this perfectionistic mindset and, you know, God forbid I mess up pronouns, God forbid I, you know, which again are, are things that we want to get right and want to be consistent with. So I'm not minimizing it, but I think as providers, we get really set on, you know, I can't do anything wrong. And then, but part of the issue with that is that when you, you know, you do do something wrong because you will, um, then there's an issue of how genuine can you be about that mistake with your client if you're so focused on being perfect with it, as well as just the pressure that puts on the provider themselves. And again, how does that impact the work when you're, you know, kind of gripping the steering wheel, uh, so to speak, and you're, you know, again, not able to kind of be present with the client. So um, that's my first thought. I just, I talked with a colleague of mine recently who um, is sort of navigating that, although she's looking to work with this person and she's, you know, open and wants to, you know, wants to, to, to do it. She was open with the client too. She told the client she didn't have a lot of experience. Client still wants to work with her. So I'm consulting with her on it. So I'm thinking of her as we're talking about this. Um, and again, there's just so many providers like her that are, 
you know, so I guess my hope is that this podcast can be helpful with some of that. But to be clear, you know, this is not a CE podcast episode, right? So this is not, you know, I'm not saying you should or shouldn't work with any trans or gender nonconforming clients after listening to this. Um, but my hope is that it, whether you do or don't, that this is informative and helpful. Um, if that makes sense to you, Emma. That's a great setup. Oh, oh, thank you. Well, yeah, like nailed it. Listen, listen. <laughs> the coffee's kicking in, you know. <laughs> um, We're coming alive. Yes. The white perfectionist in me is like, oh, yay. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I'm throwing you cookies and everything. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Again, stuff I'm, I'm working on. Um, but yeah, so so Emma, um, what are your thoughts on that? Where, where are you at with this topic? So I, I love that setup because it was so relatable. Uh, like gripping the steering wheel mm. analogy resonated so much with me because that is the counselor I was a year ago kind mm. of a thing. Um, and as you were talking about, you know, I see counselors who feel very competent or very comfortable working with transgender non-conforming clients. Uh, and then I have those who are hesitant because they don't want to cause harm. I was kind of reflecting on, like, where am I on that continuum now? Because uh, I, I do work with a good chunk of clients who are transgender non-conforming. Uh, and I love working with those clients. Like... Mm. Of course, obviously, we aren't like tallying up like who are our favorite clients or anything like that. But I do find myself so engaged in in our work together, mm -hmm. so fulfilled by it. Mm -hmm. um, and it makes me think back on the times when I was so nervous walking into every session. Just mm -hmm. like, oh my god, what if I say the wrong pronoun? Mm -hmm. And like you, like your point, that's obviously not, that's not the goal, but I can also acknowledge that I have had to navigate that a couple of times right. where mm -hmm. I have, for whatever reason, mm -hmm. after a good chunk of time working with the client, we are both well aware of what their preferred pronouns are. And suddenly one day out of nowhere, mm. I just used the wrong pronoun. Yeah. And it was, yes. it was, you know, to that perfectionism, which I absolutely also have, like there's this devastation mm. just like how could I yeah
ownership is the biggest piece mm. for me, at least. Like if if you are going to misspeak, correct it. Yeah. Yes. Like that can do so much to build that relationship with the client, no yeah. matter where you are within your relationship building with that client. Yeah. Um, I feel like I'm getting tangential already. Yeah. I don't know. I really enjoy that. I guess something that I'm kind of proud of is like leaning into mm. working with folks that are transgender, non-conforming within the LGBTQ community in general. Um, because I, I used to be the counselor that was like, oh, no, I can't. I don't I don't know. I don't know enough. I'm going to do it wrong, whatever that means. Um, and there was a significant fear of acquiring clients. Mm. Uh, I will say, like, I did a lot of, like, consultation. I've, I've not just been, like, winging it on my own and hoping that it works out, which I think is absolutely necessary. Mm. Uh, I did appreciate kind of within our practice, there is an expectation of, like, hey, if you haven't had experience before, consultation is necessary. Mm. This is not something where, like, oh, I'm working with my first client and I'll see how it goes. No. You are working with your first client? Cool. When are we meeting for consultation? Yeah. Yes. Um, which I think is a great standard to have. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think, yeah. And, and going back to what you're saying about, you know, making that mistake and kind of what to do. I mean, that's a great, I, that's, that's a, I mean, there's many components to this work, but that's a, I think a key component where, again, I think part of it is that providers just don't know what to do, if, you know, when that happens, I was gonna say if, but you know, when that happens, it's like, and I think that's part of what gets so scary. It's like, you know, if you don't know how to navigate that, I think it, it remains a sort of big unknown, this sort of cliff, you know, and if I, you know, again, we do the same thing when it comes to racism and, and, and these are two different things, but th- there are some parallels with that where it's like, you know, I can't be racist. I can't be. And same thing with this. I, I can't be transphobic. I can't be, you know, against this. I can't be seen as unsupportive. And yeah, it's just all or nothing. And I just, and I know, I, I know that there's cultural components to it. I know that we're conditioned this way. So I know that there's pieces to this, but when we talk about it, I'm just like, how like did we get to, to this point? Like, how, like, why, like, how am I here? But, um, but yeah, but, but, but I think, you know, that that's what happens. And so I think you're right that ultimately taking that ownership. And I like what you said too, Emma, about moving it along, because I think that's part of what providers risk when they're engaging in that sort of perfectionistic approach with this is um, when, when something does happen and even if they do own it, they'll take up a ton of space owning it and it becomes about them, you know, and it's like, okay, I, and again, because what's happening in that moment is the provider wants the client to forgive them, wants the client to perceive them as being supportive. It's all about the perception of them. We are no longer dealing with the client at that point. And I think that becomes very evident very quickly when that is happening Um, versus, you know, and I think the way you handled that and and how you described it, um, you know, and again, speaking from someone who has not, who has not been the target or has not been subject to that. But from my understanding, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. It sounds like you owned it, you apologized and you, you kept it moving and Mm -hmm. that's what you want to do. And yeah. And and if the client wants to process further, that's fine. Like that's, you know, totally fine. But if, as a provider, you're feeling the need to process that, that's where you seek your own supervision or consultation or therapy. Like that's not, Oh yeah. Yeah. But you know, but again, people don't know that. So then it happens because they were banking on, well, I'll I'll never make a mistake. Then it does happen. And then, you know, that, you know, that can occur where then half their session is taken up by them apologizing profusely or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. 
So, yeah. So, no, I think that 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 is very spot on. Um, Another thing navigating this, again, this came up in this conversation I was having with this person, um, you know, kind of talking about, well, how do I, well, I think there's two questions too. So there's, you know, how do I assess when we talk about identity, which um, part of me actually really loves that question. I'll get to that in a minute. Then the other part is, uh, what do you do? Like, what, what is the therapy? Like, what do you, what is your approach? What do you, and which I also like that question. And, And I guess for me, that first part, so, and actually I had a, both, I was talking about it with this person I'm, I keep referring to, but also I had a client once ask me this. Um, and I think they were a teenager. I think, I think they think they were younger, but they go, and it was a really good question. They go, well, how do you assess identity? Like, how do you assess my gender identity? Like how, basically, how do you know that I'm trans? Like how, how can you confirm? Um, and they were in a very genuine way asking me this because of just their own process. And, um, and I kind of thought about it for a minute and I'm like, because you told me. And, and there was just sort of this moment they're like, oh, and, and, and I'm like, yeah, like that's, and it, and it kind of established it for me. Like I didn't, I hadn't really verbalized that before. Cause you know, there, there are things like WPATH, there are things, there are tools out there that as providers, which by the way, if you haven't, I would recommend reviewing WPATH and, and, um, anything that they recommend. But, um, even though we have those tools, every person, I mean, just as with any aspect of one's identity, every person is different, right? Everyone's experience around gender is going to be unique. Everyone's experience around uh, sexuality or, or any again, any aspect of their identity, that's going to be unique to them. So we're dealing with something where right off the bat, if there is any topic where the client is a best expert, my view is that this is it, right? It's like, And I view that to be the case in most cases with the client. But when it comes to identity, it's like, I have no way of assessing that. You know, what we, what we assess in terms of of talking about, um, uh, you know, like letters in terms of like medical transitions in terms of, so that's a, you know, we talk about assessing dysphoria, like that's a whole other, which again, I mean, it's, and it's pretty similar, right? It's, it's what the client's reporting to you. Um, but that's another thing I try to separate out for people because, you know, you can have experiences around gender and you may or may not have dysphoria. And if you do have dysphoria, we can talk about that, unpack that. Um, but then that leads to that other question I brought up of how do you approach it? And again, this is all just me and, and Emma definitely, you know, you can jump in with, with what you do. For me, the approach, I mean, it goes back to a lot of the roots of what we do. And for me, it goes back to a lot of the Rogerian roots of open-ended questions, active listening, being present, and just empathizing and just and just hearing the client, being present with the client. Um that's a lot of it. <laughs> um, you know, if a client's looking for feedback or they want help sort of summarizing something or, I mean, those moments will pop up too. But I think in large part talking about identity, it's, it's, it's just hearing them and believing them. And then again, right, respecting however they, you know, identify themselves, however they uh, describe themselves, respecting that and following that. Um, that's, I mean, for me, that's, that's about 80% of the work <laughs> is that yes. it's, that's, um, you know, and again, if someone is navigating dysphoria and there's other treatments that they're navigating around that, you know, there are ways of, of, of doing that with them. And a lot of it's just navigating the systems, right? That's, it's basically navigating the gatekeeping and trying to minimize the gatekeeping as much as possible. Um, but, um, yeah, um, Anyway, and into some other things related to dysphoria I can get into, but that was a lot that I dispute. Uh, thoughts, Emma, where does that all go for you? I think, first off, I generally take a very Rogerian approach, similar to you, so like, mm. it might seem like a cop up, and I'm like, yeah, no, I agree with everything you said. Um, <laughs> something that I find 
really powerful when, you know, I haven't had the question directly, well, how can you assess identity? Uh, but I do like to, particularly with my trans or gender non-conforming clients, I kind of like to do this with everyone as well, to kind of discuss trust within the working relationship, because I think a lot of the time there's a focus on, yes, the client has to trust me as their therapist, mm. which I am not downplaying at all. That is huge. Yeah. Yep. But something that I have found so powerful is discussing my trust with clients as well. Mm. Where I'm like, well, no, I, I trust you because you're telling me this. Mm. And whether it's, you know, your understanding of your symptoms of depression or your understanding of your identity, uh, it can be so empowering to just feel like, oh, I'm trusted because I said it instead of mm. having to present all of my arguments and my evidence and create my PowerPoint to really convince this person that like I'm valid. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. So I love having this discussion around our mutual trust. Mm. Uh, just, I, I'm, I'm very fortunate at this point. Um, I think all of my trans gender non-conforming clients are people that I've been working with for, you know, a minute at least. Mm. Like you have a, a good trusting relationship. Um, not just based on what I think, you know, I, I do check in with them and, you know, Hey, any feedback for me kind of a thing. Mm. Um, that goes for all of my clients, not just my trans or gender non-conforming clients to be clear. Uh, but trust is huge. Mm. Similar to like, Oh, you're, you're questioning your gender. Okay. Yeah. Like, yeah. I trust, I'm not going to say, well, but are you sure? Yeah. Are you sure it's not just a bad breakup? Like, no, it's, it's none of that. Um, another piece that is super important for me is flexibility. Mm. Uh, mm. And part of that is because one of the things I know about myself as a person is I can be pretty rigid mm. uh, with my standards for myself, with my understanding of the world. It's a thing I'm working on. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Flexibility is needed, period. But flexibility is particularly important within my work with trans and non-binary folks. Mm. Uh, like, it's not problematic or abnormal or whatever judgy kind of words we can think of for somebody to try a name mm. and then after a period of time, try a different name. Yeah, yes. Like, that's totally fine. Yes. And it's on me to roll with that. And yeah. Like, but I really got used to calling you Tim. Yeah. Can you say Tim, please? Yes. Like, no. <laughs> yes. Uh, so flexibility is going to be huge in any work with, again, realistically anybody. But it definitely plays out with trans or non-binary folks. There's a trying on period. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have some thoughts to that. I'm just going to add real quick. Um, um, and, and yeah, just before I, I jump into what I'm about to say with this, um, uh, listeners may or may not be able to hear this as you were talking, Emma, I think you, you came through, I think you're coming through just fine. Um, there is some weird, it sounded like a helicopter for a moment, but now it sounds like a truck passing gas. I'm not quite sure what is happening, but there's this like this weird, like, 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 and it's like, it's happening somewhere in the proximity of my apartment. So, um, here we are. Yes. And so if, you, if people hear that, that's what that is. And I, I don't know what it is. Um, it sounds like a, maybe like a, like a chainsaw to like, I, I don't, I don't know. It's, I don't know what it is. 
Um, yeah. So uh, if I can bring myself back. So yeah, so talking about trust and talking about flexibility, absolutely. Um, I like how, you know, you, and my guess is that there's probably a number of different ways. And I think you were getting at that a number of different ways in therapy where that comes up or where you can apply that, right? That you're trusting the client's report. Um, and I think that's a big part of what is often missed in the mental health or medical system complexes, right? It's like there was a power dynamic and that power dynamic is established and important and yep. the provider knows best. And, um, and I'm like, that is so not true. <laughs> I, I do not, I cannot new. Um, but yeah, but, but that's historically been the case. So I think, you know, with this, this really does further challenge that because the moment you start applying that, that very, again, very rigid, but also very established approach to this. Um, I mean, it, it backfires in any aspect of humanity and human experience, but especially talking about identity, it just, it does not, you know, you, you, you are, already off the rails with your client yeah. like it's like it's not you do not know better than them you don't you don't know better than your client again in, in really any aspect but especially with this um and that maybe goes into another podcast talking about our role as a therapist and maybe we can unpack that as well but any but yeah your point there emma i think is is really important and the flexibility piece i mean again this goes back to the perfectionism it goes back to the rigidity right that i think we as um white cis uh heteronormative quote-unquote uh providers uh what we you know our sort of default is right and that we're constantly on a daily basis having to challenge and yeah it's like it's the same thing we talk about gender it's like yeah someone's gender experience may shift over time and this is a thing that i think historically our, our field has missed when it comes to gender, right? It's like even for people who were working with people who were trans for a long time, and granted, I'm sure this still happens in, in certain places, um, where client comes in and you're expected to go down this one path, right? There's one way of doing this, and these are the procedures, and you have to um, pass as X at the end, and you have to erase and cut out your, quote, old life. I mean, there's this whole procedure, this whole prescription of how to navigate gender dysphoria and how to navigate this um, that was and is incredibly harmful. But that's an example of where I think as a provider, I think we came into this, okay, yep, this, this is it. This is, you know, what you do. And the reality is that everyone's experience around this really does vary. You know, like I was saying earlier, like I can have a client who identifies in whatever way and they don't have dysphoria or maybe they do have dysphoria, but they don't, there's no medical treatment that they're really looking to have for that. Or maybe there is, but again, these are all components that, you know, one thing does not go with another, you know? Um, another thing that as providers too, we often, and, and I've run into this and I myself it took some adjusting out of this. We've been conditioned, I think, to and I think even saying like LGBTQ, like I think in of itself actually does this. Um, but we've been conditioned to think that this is all like one ball, right? That if like you're queer, there are all these different things that may or may not be happening. And there's certain like we, we have such weird conceptions of this that are so off. Um, the reality being that, you know, one sexuality, one gender identity, one gender expression, these are all different things and they do not impact. I mean, they, they can, but they, they don't in any prescriptive way impact one another, right? It's not, one does not go with another. It does not, you know, um, but again, and I think once we get that, I, I know for me as a provider, it took, I mean, I just felt a lot of pressure taken off because I'm like, oh, okay, why am I like overthinking this? for this person. Like, why am I projecting, you know, and like the moment you kind of realize that and, and understand that for what that is, um, anything goes. 
And suddenly, I mean, for me, that was really freeing as a provider. Like, okay, like I can just go with the client on this. I don't have to, why, why am I trying to establish something here? Like why, you know? So I don't know, for me, it was very freeing to kind of find that flexibility and to, yeah. you know, like, and I, I, I really like that, Emma, because I think you're right that that's, again, that lacks in so many aspects, I think of our lives, but certainly, you know, with our work with clients and um, yeah, it's, it's not helpful. No, not at all. No. I think that even in, in the way that we, I mean, no matter what, there's going to be a certain amount of um, oversimplification that happens mm. as we're having any discussion. Mm. Um, but one of the things where I felt some of that freeing flexibility was in dead naming folks. Um, I had a client where they would, they were kind of saying like, yeah, you know, it doesn't bother me if somebody uses my my old name and they refer to it as their old name, um, which is why I am now. And there had been a period of time where I was kind of like almost defensive for the client. Like, well, they dead named you. Like, mm. how was that for you? And it took the client a couple times of saying like, well, no, it doesn't bother me because of where I'm at in my transition or like I haven't, I'm not fully out across the board. And I had to kind of like put myself back. Okay, no, here's the client. Right. They're saying it's <laughs> right. okay. Like, because what I would say to anybody, if they're saying, hey, I'm going to be working with a gender nonconforming or trans client, one of the things I would say is like, don't dead name that. That's mm. a biggie. But for this one client, upon exploration, it's okay if we talk about them by their previous name or that mm. time of their life because that's what feels right for them. Yeah. Not yes. for me or for. WPATH or whomever. Right. Like, that's what was right for them. And right. I can just hear them and take it. Yes. And yes. I had that same sense of like relief almost of like, oh, okay. Okay. No, I trust you. Right. Mm. Let yeah. me get off my high horse here. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's just a great example, though. Like, that's a great example of something that, again, you know, probably isn't something that's going to come up with most of your trans clients, most clients I work with who navigate that, that is, it's a very traumatic experience, but yeah, right. It wouldn't necessarily be for everybody and hearing the client on that. And again, I, I that hasn't happened in any of my work, but I, I, I would absolutely have that same reaction. Emma. There would probably be a number of, of instances of, of me going, so tell me more about that and, and trying to kind of unpack oh, yeah. something and the client being like, you know, bro, there's nothing there. Like it's, that there's not a, like it's, it's, you know, I'm good. And, and yeah. And I think that's a good example of how we can project in this again, we're, you know, we'll, you know, I'm a, we went to grad school and we were supposed to know how to be a therapist by the end of it. And that was yep. supposed to be it. Right. So, okay. you know, what the hell? Um, but yeah, so I think that that's, that's a great example of that. Yeah. And it's something where, you know, like with this client, they did kind of acknowledge that like, this might change for me. And there was almost an apology in it. Like, mm. oh no, I'm so confusing because this might change as I get more comfortable in my identity. And it's kind of like, oh, that makes sense. Mm. If, if you're at this stage of your process, whatever this stage means, you're still allowed in whatever, I don't know, five years, whatever, totally throwing out random numbers mm. in five years to say, yeah, I'm not cool with being dead named. Yeah. Yes. Just because my name was this when I was this age does not mean I want to talk about it. it like use my correct name. Yeah. Yes. And again, I can see that just being different for folks. Like I don't. Yep. You know. Again, there's no there's no right or wrong to that. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. I think that's those are those are great points. And you know, as we're as we're talking about this too, you know, 
again, my mind's jumping back to, okay, and, and what are other pieces or aspects as a provider, right? Like, what are we, aside from doing all those basic things, like, you know, we talked about, and I think, again, that being the vast majority of the work, the only other components that I think of as we're talking about this, and often are more so related to any kind of medical trans, and again, this isn't the case for any everybody who's navigating gender, but for those who are navigating a medical transition and who are looking to either engage in hormones or some you know set of surgeries, and again, there's no right or wrong pathway through those pieces either. Although the system will try very hard, which we can maybe talk about that if we have time, will try very hard, you know, to say, oh, you got to do X, Y, and Z first. Um, but. Uh, when you're navigating that piece of it, you know, the other piece that comes up, and again, this is where I think providers kind of struggle is, okay, well, you know, what if, you know, as my client is embarking on these, you know, procedures, or what if what they're reporting, like, what if there's any kind of inkling or or piece of this that they're going to later regret, or that they're going to later, you know, struggle with, and and families struggle with this too. Um, And this is where I want to be careful, because I think, you know, there's a lot of, I think, things that, again, as, as a society and as providers, we project onto this, right? It's like, we don't we don't question people regretting other things and other pretty major procedures, right? It's like, we don't yeah. we don't question that. Or if a person's having some physical ailment and their doctor's saying, yeah, they need to have the surgery because they're going to remain in pain if they don't. We don't say, oh, well, are you sure you want to alter your body? That We don't have those conversations. We do it with gender because of all, all the societal BS around that that we have, yes. right? So there's that. That said, um, I think that it does make sense that while, right, there is no like, you know, uh, condition or thing. um, Again, my computer is making noises, so I apologize. Um, uh, There is not one thing that like disqualifies, in my view, that disqualifies or that changes, again, one's gender dysphoria diagnosis if they if that person has that um but what you know i think what providers do want to ensure is that as a client is embarking on that do they have the resources and the 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 base right to be able to navigate that and specifically you know are other comorbid issues if they exist are they being dealt with appropriately and again not because that means that they are or they're not having gender dysphoria or that they should that they should or shouldn't have any procedure just that is X, Y, and Z being handled so that while they're focusing on and recovering from this, they're not also having a major depressive episode, or maybe they, or maybe they do, and, and then you navigate that with them. But you know, can we try to avoid as much of this additional stuff as possible so that when they're going through that procedure or going through the recovery process, whatever that might be, they're able to do that safely. Um, same thing with having social support. So that's another big thing that I know I. And again, I'm, 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 I'm thinking you do too, Emma, oh, that yeah. I, I definitely, you know, like to assess with clients. Um, I mean, I, I assess that anyway, but I even more assess it, you know, in this context, because it's like, okay, well, you know, who can you turn to, right? It's great that you're using our space, but, you know, what close friends can you utilize in this? What family, are, you know, can you utilize if, you know, whatever, whatever family is. And yeah, so I think those are the two big things that also come up for me, specifically navigating that part of it if that is part of someone's story, um, if that makes any sense. It makes a ton of sense. I, that's an area that I have less experience in. I haven't had to walk through any kind of medical mm. procedures with my clients at this point. We've been exploring it more so. Oh, okay. um, which, I mean, I get to follow their lead. I, I will clarify, following their lead does not necessarily mean like, just blindly agreeing 
And I feel like that's important. Just because I'm flexible or just because I'm affirming doesn't mean that I just say, oh, yeah, no, I'm sure everything will be fine. It's going to be totally great. Right. I'm still going to be like Debbie Downer periodically and say like, okay, so what if, oh, you want to come out to that person? Cool. How can that happen? What if they are rejecting you? Yeah, yes. We can't just pretend it's all going to be sunshine and roses. Yes. Even though, honestly, sometimes I feel terrible saying, okay, well, what if your job does fire you? Yeah. Yes. It's not legal, but what if your job does fire you? Yes. Um, And I hate it because I hate that that's the reality. But am I really doing my client service to just be like, yeah, no, I'm sure that your job has protections in place. I'm sure mom and dad are going to be fine with that. No, Right. Because you're great. Right. No. Yeah, don't worry. The uh, government will protect you when, when that. Yeah, yeah. There will be no issues, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And of course, in doing that, I always make it very clear what my hope is. Mm. Right? Like, I will instill hope, but I'm also going to keep our feet firmly placed in reality. Mm. Well, yeah, just to add to that, no, that's a great distinction, though, Emma, because, right, and in that way, yeah, you're not telling the client what to do. And in fact, at the end of the day, even if there's a risk of being fired, maybe for that person, it is the right call to come out. And, you know, again, there are cases I work with clients who do not come out at work and have many reasons not to, and they don't. Um, But you're going through those what ifs, and that's another great aspect of the work is, well, what if this happens? And that's actually, I appreciate you saying that because when we talk about medical transitions, that is another piece of it too, right? I think you're talking about like coming out and these other components, but yeah, to navigate the medical transition process, what if you have this procedure and there are complications? What if, you know, again, and, and we're talking about this not because you should or shouldn't do it. It's just to prepare, God forbid, for that worst case scenario. And what is our plan? How do we cope with that? How do we navigate that? Um, again, kind of going back to tying this back to what the provider deals with in their work, right? It's like if, if there's a big unknown, it becomes a sort of cliff that you can't drive off of. If you talk about it and explore it, it takes away some of that. I mean, there's still unknown until, you know, you're at that point. Um, Absolutely. Right. And you don't know what the outcome will be. But you can explore you can explore some possibilities, even the ones that you know you may not want to talk about, but you can explore those so that you have so that you're prepared, so that you're ready in the event that that occurs. And I liked what you said about people rejecting. Like that's another great example of it is okay, well, what's the worst what in your sense, what is the worst case scenario and what is the worst case response from this person if you tell them? Yes. Like what are you hoping that they do not say and do? And let's talk about that. And then also what would be the best case scenario? And let's explore what the end goal is in that and that way the client has a better informed consent going into that thing um yeah yeah i would make a note almost as like not necessarily a final thought or anything like that but just a side note Mm. if as a provider you get it all squirmy talking about like sex or uh, sexual organs. Yeah. <laughs> work that out. Yeah. Outside yes. of sex with your client. Like, yes. If you can't hear the word penis or vagina without getting super uncomfortable. <gasps> yeah. Wait to have your, your first yes. friends or Like, any, I mean, in general, even in work with a cisgendered, heterosexual, like, whatever, even with your quote unquote ideal client like sex is still a part of our work with clients yeah that, okay carlos take that part out that's a terrible phrasing uh, <laughs> now that you said that he won't this this will go live I, right oh no <laughs> sounds terrible right but like discussing sex is often a part of our work with our clients yes it is um, 
but that can become even more apparent if we're talking about a medical procedure yeah. or if we're talking about the way our sexual preferences influence our gender identity because yep. that will be a thing for some of your clients yep. um, like it, it just is. I don't know how it can be clearer. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. That's, that's such a great point, Emma, because, yeah, and actually one thing I'd recommend the people on that note is um, if you haven't to, because um, there are, there are videos, you know, there are, whether it's, you know, medical institutions that have recorded and have, you know, um, for, you know, medical training purposes, have procedures that are online, um, clients who document their own experiences, look that up. Um, look, you know, look up. And again, it's going to feel very like, you know, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm looking up this thing where I'm going to be seeing body parts and, and things happening that are, you know, it's like, yeah, like that's do that because then you'll have a visual of what some of the stuff entails and what it looks like. And hopefully if, if you are struggling with, with having those conversations, it will help desensitize you a little bit to that, which right. like you said, Emma, I, hopefully you work that out, whether or not you work with trans clients, because it's, you know, 2020 and sex is sex. And it's part of our work. <laughs> no judgment, but it is. Um, but yeah, so I think, you know, that's a really good point. And yeah, so I would recommend that, that people actually expose themselves to it. That's, um, that's, that's a great way of doing it. I had a supervisor before tell me that and, and I went ahead and did that. And it was, it was helpful. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah. yeah. I know we're about at our time. I know we both have um, some hard stops. Uh, any final thoughts, additional thoughts, Emma, on your end? You know, I just said, this isn't my final thought. That may be my final thought. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's, yeah, my computer agrees. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Be comfortable talking about sex. Be flexible. Mm-hmm. Be humble. Like, don't be so rigid. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I'm going to, I'm going to stick with you on that, on that ending. That's, that's my final thought as well. I mean, again, it is, it's a, it's a lesson that I think as providers, we can take in a lot of different ways and areas. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I think there's a lot of overlap whenever we talk about a specific, a specific thing, or if we're talking about, you know, I know we've talked about um, incorporating some podcast episodes, just on like depression or something like that. There will Um, always be some overlap because a lot of this is just like, good counseling right um but it still requires recognition yeah context of working with like a trans or gender non-conforming client absolutely Um, absolutely oh wait hang on hang on emma Uh, i do want to just take a second to actually highlight two things one that is kind of related to our discussion today um I have started reading a book called I Wish You All the Best. Um, the author is Mason Beaver. I'm literally only five chapters in, so I'm, this isn't, like, I don't want to necessarily say this is the book that anybody should read, but so far I've had some uh, positive reactions to it. Uh, it is about a non-binary kiddo. I think he's, jeepers, uh, I think they're 18. Um, and... So far, the story came out to their parents, kicked out of the house. So it is essentially like trigger warning there. Uh, This may be enlightening for folks who are perhaps trying to understand alternate experiences to their own. It may be quite triggering for somebody who has already had that experience or shared that experience. So I don't want to, across the board, say everybody should read this. And again, I am five chapters and I haven't finished it. But so far, I've heard good things about the book and I've had my own positive reactions, aka I've cried, but it makes me feel things and I, I enjoy it so far. 
second thing, I just, I, sorry, um, I do want to highlight another Black-owned business. I hope I haven't mentioned them before, but if I have, this is a follow-up. Circadian Coffee. Um, I did a little bit of coffee Christmas shopping, and one of the people I gifted coffee to was my husband for perhaps selfish reasons. It smelled so good when it got delivered. Oh, I can now confirm, it also tastes absolutely delicious that's awesome uh, so highly highly recommend Tim as a fellow coffee lover I hope you try it I will I will try good. this yeah no it's, it sounds delicious that's awesome it's awesome and they have quite a few like I don't want to say flavors but um, you know like different blends and things like that very intriguing so I may be going back to them for more I found a whole mm. bunch of black Moon coffee companies so I'm like kind of want to buy from all but also kind of want to continue with this one because it's really good totally so, yeah we might hear more black owned coffee companies as we continue and that's fair I, I have no I have no problem with that that's <laughs> yeah awesome awesome thank yeah. you so much thank you Emma um, we you. do gotta end but yeah mm-hmm. we will follow up next time yes alright I miss Carlos's bye I know well, I'll, I'll, I'll I'll leave us with that bye alright bye